Okay, folks, this is Pastor Zach. Uh, it is late October of 2021, and uh, I am posting here the last of the intermission classes uh, when we briefly restarted uh, last year, last uh, October and November. This is the last one of those. We were talking about just war theory, uh, and it is a bit of a relic. Uh, you hear all sorts of interesting things that you're not yet nostalgic for, like trying to get Zoom to work with a PowerPoint, then giving up, then calling someone at home on the phone and having them on speaker so that they could hear the class. And uh, as a result, uh, once we do that move, uh, the phone being next to the recorder somehow makes a weird uh, digital interference computer noise. It's like, and uh, everybody else's uh, voice when they're talking is just about drowned out. I had to cut out most of the questions and the conversation, leaving it that much uh, less interesting, I suppose. Um, if you're really into uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, maybe you want to listen to this one, or, or Just War Theory is kind of uh, something you've been meaning to get a primer on, but if the uh, noise is a little too annoying for you, uh, you might want to skip this one, and then you will be up to uh, earlier this month uh, when we resumed class, hopefully uh, until we finish going all the way through the catechism, uh, Lord willing. Either way, if you want to listen in, we're happy to have you. If you want to skip out, no one's going to judge you because, frankly, no one is going to know. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to gather together both online and in person here. And Lord, we thank you for your presence with us as we gather. We pray that you would be uh, powerfully present as we read your word, as we discuss things that have been uh, taught and passed down for for many, many, many generations in the church. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would always take the word of God and shine its light on everything that is taught to us to see if these things are so. Lord, that we would have the spirit of the Bereans that we would be uh, captive, our consciences, as Luther said, captive to the word of God uh, and to nothing else. Lord, we pray that uh, you would give us a beneficial time and enjoyable time together uh, with one another this morning. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Okay. Oh, I didn't even open PowerPoint. It's possible. It is open. All right. I have to go to the anything. That guy wearing the that guy, John Wesley. Uh, where'd we let we left off with? I want to talk to you about Thomas Aquinas, and nobody laughed. All right, turn slow. We're going to talk about Thomas Aquinas. We've been walking through kind of um, what about war? What is it good for? Good gosh, y'all! I was not singing that all morning. It's not. That's not the case. All right, from the Summa. Theologica. If you don't know, um, Thomas Aquinas was a great philosopher, theologian, who basically took the Christian religion and then presented it in Aristotelian categories, and he's he couldn't be a, more of a treasure for the church. I don't think that, I know many evangelicals who will go right to him and say, this is my guide, this is the stuff, but if you know anything about historical theology, you know how important he is, and uh, he, he wrote a lot of stuff that, that really does... Uh, resonate and convey the truth of scriptures. Uh, so here's his uh, blurb on self-defense. If a man in self-defense uses more than necessary violence, it will be unlawful. Whereas if he repels force with moderation, his defense will be lawful. 
Nor is it necessary for salvation that a man omit the act of moderate self-defense to avoid killing the other man, since one is bound to take more care of one's own life than of another's. I don't know where he gets that one. It seems to me that Christians kind of live in this backwards world of being kind of more bound to care about others than yourself. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we probably need a little more context, but I don't know. Yeah, and, and certainly when you're and you have other people that you would be defending, and that's more what we've been talking about. Uh, and is there is there a right and duty to defend your own life? Um, I think that probably we can all have in our minds how bravely we would just lay down and and pray and say, Lord, uh, I trust you to protect me, but moment when your adrenaline is at 100%, you're going to do what God hardwired you to do. Like Aaron says, everyone has a, a and in, in most cases, it'd probably be, get out of there. Uh, legitimate defense, here's a, we've been looking at different, um, what I meant to bring a small category, or large category. Uh, legitimate defense, we've been looking at different uh, traditions on this, uh, and one of the more systematic is this catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, Legitimate defense can be not only a right, but a grave duty for one who is responsible for the lives of others. The defense of the common good requires that an unjust aggressor be rendered unable to cause harm. For this reason, those who legitimately hold authority also have the right to use arms to repel aggressors against the civil community entrusted to their responsibility. Uh, there, there's no footnotes here, not to a scripture, not to a canon or writing of uh, any council, so I don't know on what that's based, but that is the official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. I wanted to go back a little further, the catechism before that, the Baltimore Catechism, asks, what is forbidden by the Fifth Commandment? Answer, the Fifth Commandment forbids all willful murder, fighting, anger, hatred, revenge, and bad example. I think that is a very concise uh, question and answer. Uh, all willful murder, right? There, there. I think in lies the the key. Uh, willful murder, uh, fighting, anger, hatred, revenge, and bad examples. These are things that we're doing willfully, uh, rather than out of necessity. Oh, there's always a catch-all in every single <laughs> catechism, right? Um, remember Luther's when way out there with, you know, how far the, the Fifth Commandment could be uh, applied. Is it ever lawful for any cause to deliberately and intentionally take away the life of an innocent person? Answer, it is never lawful for any cause to deliberately and intentionally take away the life of an innocent person. Such deeds are always murder and can never be excused for any reason, however important or necessary, says the church that brought you the Inquisition. And here's where we start to get into uh, laying out specific kind of matrices for when a Christian um, can actually take part in uh, activities that, that may involve the taking of life. Uh, under what circumstances may human life be lawfully taken? One, a human life may be lawfully taken in self-defense when we are unjustly attacked and have no other means of saving our own lives. Two, in a just war, when the safety or rights of the nation require it. Three, by the lawful execution of a criminal. 
fairly tried and found guilty of a crime punishable by death when the preservation of law and order and the good of the community require such execution. Um, <clears throat> that gets into a real hot-button issue that I probably don't you know, want to go rabbit hole, we may not want to go into, but uh, so is war, for that matter, I guess. The third one, I think, just like the first one, and for that matter, all three of them have, have to be tempered by then uh, a lack of zeal for killing, right? You know, the I'd throw the switch myself, let's light them all up mentality for a Christian who is in favor of capital punishment is out of place. Um, and, you know, the, the biblical arguments and the um, exegetical approach to uh, capital punishment in the New Testament world, in the, in the post-Old Covenant world, uh, for people who follow the God uh, who is, is pretty limited to, what, Romans 13, uh, the magistrate doesn't bear the sword of pain, um, you know, the, the kind of notion that there still is a place for somewhere uh, a legitimate execution of certain criminals. And as someone who's a not a fan of capital punishment at all, every once in a while, you know, a Oklahoma City bombing happens, and I think, eh, maybe. Right? And, and you have to remember that in God's word, there's never a prohibition against uh, lawful uh, due process type execution of criminals, and that has been the norm through all of human history. And Sean, did you just hurt yourself, or do you have something to say? Uh, oh, that was Barkley. No, Sean is barking. Anyone have any thoughts on any of these three circumstances? Do you think that they're incomplete? Do you think they're overreaching? Do you think they give too much latitude? So maybe you're conscripted into 
into an army, and and you have to ask yourself, does my conscience allow me to take part in this, or do I have to be the objector? Explanation, but at the same time, I'd, I'd like to see it infused with more language about other possibilities, of finding every other way, of re-emphasizing that human life is so precious. Uh, and, you know, if we're going to start putting in proof texts and things, um, there were times, I mean, David didn't kill Saul in the cave because he was the Lord's anointed. Probably partly because he was his best friend who was closer than a brother's dad, and he didn't want to break his best friend's heart and ruin that relationship. But could he have lawfully... He'd, he'd actually been... Um, well, certainly, yeah, and, and, you know, in the long game, to, to preserve his own life, taking out Saul would be good. But he'd already been anointed as king of Israel by Samuel at God's order, right? So if he was going to say, listen, you are actually an illegitimate uh, king on this throne, you don't belong here, and so I'm going to take you out, he could have. And yet he chooses not to. And this from a guy who Scripture calls a man of blood. So, you know, having that tendency, I think, in us that always kind of veers in the direction of peace. Um, you know, I think of the New Testament, as far as you are able, live at peace with everyone. Uh, I think that rather than looking like here are some excuses wherein it's okay, it ought to be framed in here's all the reasons why it never is unless... You know, there's no other option, and then, and then, still, it's heartbreaking and horrible, and and uh, the taking of it. We start reading a new story every day about a shooting in Southwest Lansing, and people getting mortally wounded and stuff. It's easy to just be like, oh, that's the world, I guess. We don't want to get used to that idea of of fighting and killing as just being the way it is. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And we, the Christians, are the ones who are supposed to bring into the culture the peace that passes understanding, the good news of great joy, uh, and bring it to bear. Not just uh, have it be a sweet card that we send once a year, but actually bring that uh, like leaven into the whole thing. And, and especially in a society where we can come in and hold office and... Even just by our votes, we can actually change things. Uh, I think there should be a little more emphasis in some of these things on why not to, not what are good reasons to do this. All right, just war principle itself is quite regimented. It's it's very specific, and there's not a lot of room for interpretation. It's, it's old, and it's evolved a little bit, but let's look at where it comes from. Augustine, um, no idea what I was going to say with that severed statue head there. Moving So, a just war may defend a nation, defensive, or avenge, offensive. So this is, this is from, you got to remember, Augustine is writing in the late 4th century. Rome is Christian at this point, in quotes, and my guy loves Rome, okay? Uh, in fact, it's the worst thing for him in the world that all these barbarian hordes are starting to come in and take strongholds. 
as he's dying. He's like, I wish I would have died before this all started so I didn't have to see it. So he, he just really loves, if you read the City of God, you see that there's this notion in his mind, God's left hand and right hand, you know, not all too different from uh, Luther's view of the two kingdoms, uh, but with more of an emphasis on you know, God's using these, these human governments to keep order and even to bring about his will. Um, and so he's viewing this all through the kind of stained glass of the Christian Roman Empire. Uh, and so bear that in mind, of course. Here is a quote. If the Christian religion forbade war altogether, those who sought salutary advice in the gospel would rather have been counseled to cast aside their arms and to give up soldiering altogether. On the contrary, they were told, do violence to no man and be content with your pay. We read that last week. That was uh, John the Baptist talking to soldiers who knew him. If he commanded them to be content with their pay, he did not forbid soldiering. And there it is, Luke 314. Uh, well, it was after you know tax collectors asked, what should we do? And he said, only collect what is uh, required. And other uh, people have been coming. And then soldiers come up. And he just says, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. And be content with your wages. So our translation, which that's a good, accurate translation, doesn't even say do violence to no man. It says don't on your way do the normal thing. Um, you know, when Jesus says if you're made to carry a load one mile, carry it two. Uh, you were conscriptable labor, no matter what you're standing, as long as you were not a Roman citizen, you could be grabbed out of your shop or wherever you were, and you carry this, you do this. And, you know, you hear stories about, you know, you're walking through a neighborhood that isn't yours, and a kid will run up and be like, give me a quarter. Uh, well, this would be the Roman soldiers, which, all right, you're done, give me a denarius. You know, they would just, they just take, they could just take. They were, they were the people with power. And it was so normal to just exert it. And so he says, don't do that. Be a good soldier. Not be no soldier. Be a good soldier. Uh, be content with your wages. Don't do all this other shady stuff. Augustine, I think, is right to point to that and say, now that is an argument for silence, in a sense. He doesn't condemn it, but it also is a situation in which he would have probably condemned it there. It's like uh, when we're talking about believer's baptism. And you, and you say, here's the moment where Paul would say to these people who are carrying on circumcision, we don't circumcise our babies anymore, we sprinkle them. And the fact that he doesn't say that tells us that that was not happening, the sprinkling. And the response is, well, that's an argument from silence. Yeah, but it's a strong argument from silence. Okay, just war. A just war is wants to be described as one that avenges wrongs when a nation or state has to be punished for refusing to make amends for the wrongs inflicted by its subjects or to restore what it has seized unjustly. Thoughts? His first idea is one that's avenging wrongs. Yeah, yeah, but is it just? John said it must be, we do it all the time. Right, I think that the distinction is between... And I'm playing uh, Augustine's advocate, which I'm fairly comfortable with, between personal revenge and saying, you know what, I'm going to let God handle this, vengeance is his, and one of the avenues by which he repays is law, uh, temporal powers. So, you know, when somebody wrongs me, 
then if they've broken the law in doing it, they'll be arrested. If it's a nation wronging another nation, then that will be taken care of too. That would have been certainly Augustine's point of view in his high view of, of Rome. If you're the one being attacked, but right. if you're the one doing the attack, so so World War One, uh, World War Two begins with vengeance, right? Right. We'll whip them this time. Uh huh. So it almost makes like the same sort of cycle that individual violence can make, right? Yeah. I think if you are in a semi-empire setting, you get more of that. Where and maybe there is a, a not quite straight line to draw between Rome, police of the world, the known world at the time, and America the way many people view it, right? The idea that you've done this... Now, now for example, uh, Desert Storm, Aaron and I were singing um, some 80s war ballads this morning, Wind of Change and uh, Show Me the Way. Um, you know, Remember, that was not to uh, avenge primarily, it was for restoring what Iraq had seized unjustly, right? Someone maybe might, now I don't even want to get into this, but somebody might argue that a later war was more to avenge for the first or whatever. I, I think that in a, a world where you have the UN, and it's now, where I'm, now I'm up here bloviating about geopolitics, and it's the last thing anyone wants. I don't know anything. But like where we have kind of a, a fraternity of nations rather than an empire with people under its boot, um, that there's less room for this kind of thing. This idea, but at the same time, do you want to live in a world where a country with impunity can just lash out against other nations around it without fear that it's going to come back and, and bite you uh, at some point via another stronger nation kind of avenging those wrongs? So, Germany starts going into France. Just war theory, I think so. I think it's going to meet all of the the individual criteria that the one that set up. So this is the sweetness about uh, reading the Summa. We get objection and reply, objection and reply in dialogue, which is like the best. Objection: Nothing except sin is contrary to an act of virtue, but war is contrary to peace. Therefore, war is always a sin. He makes the he doesn't ever have a straw man. He makes a strong argument against his own position, and then he replies to it. Uh, those answer, reply, those who wage war justly aim at peace, and so they are not opposed to peace, except to the evil peace, which our Lord, quote, came not to send upon earth. Matthew 10, 34. Uh, and I think we could probably pick at his application of that particular verse a little bit, but we would acknowledge that there is, in Scripture, a false peace that is not to be sought after, including, you know, woe to those who say peace, peace, but there is no peace, and don't do anything, right? Um, so this notion that 
war being contrary to peace, a just war has peace as its goal, is what he's going to say here uh, in the Summa. Uh, so I think in that way, Aquinas and Augustine, uh, although separated by almost a thousand years, are more or less right on the same page. Uh, in order for a war to be just, three things are necessary. And here's where he starts to lay out what will become really the, the standard for just war theory. First, the authority of the sovereign by whose command the war is to be waged. For it's not the business of a private individual to declare war, because he can seek for redress of his rights from the tribunal of his superior. Moreover, it's not the business of a private individual to summon together the people, which has to be done in wartime. And as the care of the commonwealth, commonweal, I guess that's an old school, uh, is committed to those who are in authority, it is their business to watch over the commonweal of the city, kingdom or province subject to them. And just as it is lawful for them to have recourse to the sword in defending that commonweal against internal disturbances, when they punish evildoers according to the word of the apostle, quote, he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, and avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. Uh, this is where I think a lot of wars that we tend to think of as uh, justified might fail the test right off the bat. Or by a, a sitting uh, monarch, or by you know anyone with recognized authority already, um, there, and you have to say, okay, what what constitutes the authority, and when does the authority exist? If you have a ton of people together saying, I mean, look at how Jehu is uh, kind of made king. Ultimately, it's the prophet that comes and uh, anoints him says, you're the guy now, but he's already been surrounded by the entire army and lifted up. You know, it's like when it's like when I was talking about you write a word and an editor says that's not a word, you say it is now. It's like, this guy's not really an authority who is worthy to, or has, has the ability to start a word. Well, he is now, once he has an army or he has, so it, it, I think it's not as cut and dry. If you're living in Aquinas' world, it probably is a little more, but maybe not. Yeah. So, Are so into that it's idea. Or is it? Or is it just the sovereign was King George? Now, I, I don't have any dog in the fight either way. Although um, it seems rather, I don't know, pinko commie of you, Aaron, to always pick at that scab. But um, yeah, no, it is. It's a very interesting idea, uh, biblically speaking. Now, you talk about an act of Congress, though. When when you establish a ruling body, a uh, self-ruling body, and this, I mean, are you going to start saying that uh, wars that led to um, areas of the Middle East and Africa throwing off British imperial rule in the 19th century are somehow not valid either? I mean, is it possible that an authority can be established by the will of the people? I don't know. That would have been foreign to to this guy's thinking. So there's number one. Uh, first hurdle you have to clear, authority of a sovereign commanding the war to be waged. And you know why that's first. Because otherwise, people wanting to do violence just need to get like two or more gathered together and call themselves an army, and then they're, you know, it's not a sin. It's a war. Uh, it, these loony guys wanting to kidnap our governor probably thought of themselves as an army, and the guy in charge... 
um, as the legitimate leader, and okay, uh, that's that's not there's no sovereign involved, so you've already failed. They're going to fail every one of these, but uh, okay. So too, oh, there's more to this quote. So too, it is their business to have recourse to the sword of war in defending the commonwealth against external enemies. Hence, it is said, rescue the poor and deliver the needy out of the hand of the sinner, which is Psalm eighty-one. And for this reason, Augustine says. The natural order conducive to peace among mortals demands that the power to declare and counsel war should be in the hands of those who hold the supreme authority. You guys, when when Aquinas quotes Augustine, or when Calvin does, I get the same feeling as like when Spider-Man showed up in the Marvel Universe for the first time. You can do it again. Augustine says, to take the sword is to arm oneself in order to take the life of anyone without the command or permission of superior or lawful authority. On the other hand, to have recourse to the sword as a private person by the authority of the sovereign or judge, or as a public person through zeal for justice and by the authority, so to speak, of God, is not to, quote, take the sword, but to use it as commissioned by another. Wherefore, it does not deserve punishment. And yet even those who make sinful use of the sword are not always slain with the sword, yet they always perish with their own sword, because unless they repent... They are punished eternally for their sinful use of the sword. So he's doubling down on Jesus, live by the sword, die by the sword, and saying, you're not taking up the sword if it's based on the authority, the legitimate authority God has placed above you. First use of the law. Right, or someone in, uh, for example, Kelvin Harshman. You should see the sword he brings with him when he's patrolling. It's huge. I'm kidding. He carries a gun and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would certainly, uh, think that all of that private persons acting under, that's first use of the law. Remember, that is that the law is given for the benefit of all of mankind because we're so wicked and sinful that without that holding us back and reigning us in, it would be Cain and Abel everywhere all the time. And so we have to say Jesus was not opposed to that idea, certainly. He acknowledged Pilate had been given authority from on high above him in order to decide, in that case, a capital uh, charge. And certainly Paul is not opposed to that when he says that the, the governing authority does not bear the sword in vain. Although um, I think people make a little too much out of that. That is actually a shorthand. It's an idiom, bear the sword, meaning to hold authority. Uh, the idea of him holding a ceremonial sword, you know, much like Lady Justice holding the, the scales or something. It doesn't always refer to people getting executed and, and, and stuff. Uh, so, that was the first one. Sovereign authority that's legitimate. Uh, anyone can't just have their own little war and think that God is like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, kill away. Secondly, a just cause is required. Namely, that those who are attacked should be attacked because they deserve it on account of some fault. Wherefore, Augustine says, a just war is wont to be described as one that avenges wrong. We already read that, blah, blah, blah. Um, my, my beef with that first sentence is that those attacked is never going to be limited to those who have committed the fault. No matter how, even with a smart bomb, you know, I mean going to, there's not that kind of surgical precision available, certainly not back then. People die that had nothing to do with it. Uh, so that should be acknowledged, I think, somewhere in here, and I don't believe that it is. 
And I think that probably it was just the harsher view of the world back then when, you know, the plague came through and killed everyone you knew every few years anyway, and death was just something that happened. Although I think by the time uh, Aquinas, uh, you know, goes the way of all flesh, we've got cannonballs tearing through things on occasion, right? Or toward a city you're besieging in order to avenge something. I, I think we're kind of on that border between old school siege warfare, which would have also led to the death of people by starvation and stuff anyway, and now um, actual artillery that's just like walls, no problem, and it's a bad recipe. And I mean, yeah, so so when you think of World War One, you think of all the young men, you know, in all these different countries stuck in these uh, trenches getting blown apart by machine guns, and you go, oh my gosh, it's so terrible. Um, but at least it's the armies that are fighting and killing each other. Yeah, right, you're right, totally. Yeah, so, and once you start bombing, and you're carpet bombing, and you're, it gets very murky as our ability to take life becomes more and more efficient. Uh, and that, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so that's the second thing. The, the, so you have a, a legitimate sovereign making the order a just cause. Uh, and thirdly, it is necessary that the belligerents should have a rightful intention so that they intend the advancement of good or the avoidance of evil. Hence, Augustine says, True religion looks upon as peaceful those wars that are waged, not for motives of aggrandizement or cruelty, but with the object of securing peace, of punishing evildoers, and of uplifting the good. For it may happen that the war is declared by the legitimate authority and for a just cause, and yet be rendered unlawful through wicked intention. Hence, Augustine says, The passion for inflicting harm, the cruel thirst for vengeance, an unpacific and relentless spirit, the fever of revolt, the lust of power, and such like things, all these are rightly condemned in war. He's got a, a pretty high view, I think, of the human spirit. Yeah. That you can maintain that, that just, pure motive through an entire campaign or something. When you read what, what people uh, go through, that seems to be Real difficult. Uh, so thirdly, uh, the right intention. Legitimate sovereign, just cause, right intention. And here's uh, the old layout for Facebook from years and years ago. Feel the warm fuzzies inside. Um, and this is when? Uh, 2011. Zach Bartles is listening to MXPX and preparing a lesson on just war theory. And Adam C. Stacy, this guy... Uh, friends with Dave Marvin, and I think I met him when I was preaching downtown one time. Very, very smart guy. And he weighs in and says, Just War Theory is a sound moral philosophy, of course. It is, I'm sorry. Just War Theory is a sound moral philosophy, period. Of course, it is much more complicated in an age of weapons of mass destruction. Preemptive wars were never considered morally defensible for good reason. Armies needed time to be assembled, and travel meant it would take days or weeks for an invading army to reach your homeland. With the threat of weapons of mass destruction, massive civilian casualties can be incurred without warning. Preemptive war is still controversial, but a legitimate point of debate to avoid larger, more costly wars. He's saying you got to update these things with the times, uh, and he's probably right. His conclusion you may or may not agree with. Oh, and this is during a former two or three uh, guys ago here. 
presidential election. That's funny too. So yeah, as you you know think about how you would apply just war theory in different ages, uh, as a Christian, you have to acknowledge whether these hoops you have to jump through become meaningless, right? But at the same time, I mean, nothing was stopping barbarian hordes or crusaders, and we're not going to talk about the crusades. I have all these slides about the crusades because when I uh, put this together years ago, I was really reading a lot about the crusades. Um, but nothing stopped them with their good intention, their just cause, and their legitimate sovereign when they got there. Uh, at least the army of Peter the Hermit from killing, pillaging, smashing the heads of babies open. I mean, just horrendous stuff because of kind of the, the lust of, of violence and war. So uh, we want to protect people from being in that position, too. Uh, there, we, I think we would all agree there are times when wars are necessary. And thank God for brave men uh, in ages past. The brave men and women now are willing to throw themselves in harm's way and, and protect us. Um, I think this stuff, it's got to be dealt with every generation, though. What constitutes you know, the, the actual legitimate carrying out of war and what becomes loophole for throwing your weight around and, and uh, using violence. What do you say, Aaron? Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. The, the idea that in the midst of um, suspending all regular rules of society, it, it must be easy to lose sight of what was grounding you and, and what you're there for. Um, I think a lot of these guys, World War II, you know, they, or, or Korea, or whatever, they had the picture of their sweetheart. And just kind of remind you, I'm, I'm protecting my, my family, my home, I'm, you know, and, and um, I'm sure that still continues to be the case. Uh, but when a lot of the calls are being made, the push of a button from the safety of a, a bunker or a base somewhere, you know, I, I, it, it's all above our pay grade. But I think Christians do well to know what they think about important topics like this. Uh, so, the Council of Bishops 1992, this is how they lay out more than uh, our boy uh, Thomas Aquinas. I believe the Council of Bishops is ecumenical. Uh, one, just cause. Two, proper authority. Three, right intention. Four, last resort. Five, proportionality. And that comes in, I think, for sure. Four, last resort, I think we have way more uh, forums for uh, coming at these things with a goal of reaching a diplomatic solution. Um, but that has to be on the table. And then proportionality, especially when it's a, a kind of a situation where there's a more powerful, more wealthy country coming in to the aid of someone else. You could just obliterate to say, let's have a proportional response. Six, probability of success. So you, if you could go on fighting and fighting and fighting and you had great intention and your cause is right, but you know there's no way you're going to do anything but just add to the body count, then uh, according to this matrix, you would not pass the, the uh, just war. When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling, and peace has become sin. You must, at the price of dearest peace, 
lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. I believe the context there is not uh, actual battle, but certainly a Kyperian worldview holds uh, room for that, that everything you do, you do to the glory of God, and if there is uh, injustice and soldiers go to war, the Christian soldier does it to the glory of God and comports himself uh, appropriately. Um, I think next week we'll, we're not going to do any more of this stuff. Yeah, First Crusade, blah, blah, blah. It's interesting, but it's getting so deep into the, into the weeds. We're going to talk about our everyday, uh, which is, I don't think anyone here is in the military. Um, although I hope you uh, thanked a veteran on Veterans Day here this past week for, for their service to our country and, and their willingness to do stuff and, and risk stuff that, that you and I might not be doing to, uh, to risk. But uh, we're going to talk about what does it look like in your everyday to carry this stuff out in a more mundane uh, manner. And then we're going to get into the seventh commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery. Uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, a discussion in which we solved nothing. Uh, a discussion intended to, to get us thinking and to remind us that, that uh, we are to wrestle with these kind of issues, and Lord, search the scriptures, and seek your face, and know what we believe, because we know that uh, there have been times when there have been unjust wars, and it was more the lack of action on the part of good people uh, that, that caused it to, to go on than uh, the, the evil in the hearts of, of people who were, who were carrying out atrocities and things, Lord. We know that, that we are to be a, a conscience, a voice uh, in the wilderness that, that declares your truth and proclaims uh, that you are indeed the king of kings, uh, regardless of how, how much uh, honor and uh, obedience we are due, uh, uh, that, that sovereigns are due, and, and uh, that our government is, is owed, that you are the king of kings and you owe our ultimate allegiance, Lord. And, and we pray that we would keep that in mind as we, as we build our positions on these things. And we would remember that you are indeed sovereign over everything. Lord, that everything we do in our lives, and even everything that we do in our uh, position, our vocation as a citizen, as a voter, uh, they all need to glorify you. That is the reason you created us. So Lord, we pray we wouldn't just stick with what we've always thought or what we were always taught, but with these kind of issues, we would think them through deeply, pray through them, discuss them with each other, uh, and try to honor you where we land. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.